Well, we've been reading through the book of Ruth, and today we've reached Ruth chapter 3 in our uh, scripture reading. So I wonder if you turn with me to page 269 in your pew Bibles, Ruth chapter 3. You can find it uh, just after the book of Judges and just before the book of 1 Samuel. So it's Ruth chapter 3, page 269 in the pew Bibles. And I think we'll pick it up just from verse 23 of chapter 2. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you'll be well provided for? It's not Boaz with whose servant girls you have been a kinsman of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie down here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl that you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And this is God's word. 
Before we sing again and uh, have our sermon, we've actually got a second scripture reading this morning uh, from the book of Ephesians. So I wonder if you'd mind turning with me to Ephesians chapter 1. It's on page 1173 in the Pew Bibles. So Ephesians chapter 1, and the reason we're reading this is because I think in lots of ways, the more I've looked at the book of Ruth, the more I think you could almost see the book of Ruth. There's a kind of a dramatic kind of presentation of the kinds of things that Paul talks about in quite a condensed way here in Ephesians chapter 1. So we're going to read from verses 1 to 14. So let's hear God's word again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we also were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of of his glory. And this is God's word. So if you turn back to Ruth chapter 3 on page 269. God has got a wonderful plan for your life. Do you think that's true? The book of Ruth has been teaching us over the last couple of weeks that it is true. Our lives aren't just chaotic, bumping around from here to there, but actually ordered at a deep level towards the praise of God's glory and towards our good. Last week we saw how Ruth, this Moabite widow, this woman with a bad reputation coming from the land of Moab with all the bad connotations, Uh, A woman who is desperately in need of a a husband to have any hope of rest in their society. 
she just so happens to find herself working in a field belonging to Boaz. And Boaz is not just a wonderfully generous man. We saw that last week as he gives the bread uh, to Ruth and satisfies her, her hunger. He's also a very near relative of Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, or we've been calling her Lovely, because that's what her name means. Uh, and this relative, uh, Boaz, he has certain responsibilities under the law of Israel. Uh, he's a redeemer. And uh, it's going to be important to us, uh, a couple of those responsibilities as we go through the rest of Ruth. So we're going to take a moment just to have a look at a couple of what those responsibilities are. So firstly, Leviticus 25, verse 25, uh, says that if one of your countrymen men becomes poor and sells some of his property, his nearest relative is to come and redeem what his countryman has sold. So if you're down on your luck in Israel and you need to kind of sell your land to get some cash, then your nearest relative is meant to come along and buy it off you so that the land won't kind of be spread out everywhere and so that you can be sure that you will be able to turn your land into cash. So that's Leviticus 25, 25. And then Deuteronomy 25 has got another important rule uh, for these near relatives. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So if you don't have any children, if you're widowed and you don't have any children and it looks like the name of the family is going to die out, well, again, the near relative has to come and marry the widow so that the name of the dead can carry on. And you can see how both of these are going to be in play in, in our story in Ruth. Uh, Naomi owns some land, but she can't work it because she's not got the resources to do that, and so she needs to sell it. And, of course, both Ruth and Naomi are widows. And so it looks like the name of the dead, Elimelech, my God is king, it looks like that name is going to be blotted out from history unless a redeemer comes to, to marry Ruth and provide children for Ruth and for Naomi. And it just so happens that Ruth lands in a field belonging to Boaz, one of these redeemers. It all seems very wonderful. Uh, either Ruth has got very lucky, and that's what we were calling her last week, lucky, or we have to say God's providence has led her to that field. But at the start of chapter 3, at the start of our reading today, it seems that Lucky's luck has run out. We'll take that slide down. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Ruth is still living at home with her mother-in-law. Um, and she's, um, she's working day after day after day in the fields. And Boaz doesn't seem to have chosen to take that relationship with Ruth any further. And so it seems like, if you believe in providence, it seems like the door is closing on this relationship. And maybe you start thinking, if you're somebody like Ruth or, or Naomi, maybe you start thinking, maybe there isn't really any wonderful plan for our life after all. Maybe it was just a fluke that we were in the field with Boaz. Well, today we're going to see what these two women do when the wonderful plan for their lives seems to be about to vanish into thin air. And they're going to teach us to do three things. And the first one is coming up on the screens. They're going to lock in to God's plan, and they're going to teach us to lock into God's plan for us. So have a look at verse 1. 
One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, said to Ruth, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you or rest for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Well, tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now notice verse 2, uh, that Naomi says that Boaz is a kinsman of ours. She knows that there's more than one of these kinsmen who could potentially do the job of redeeming Naomi and Ruth. And we saw that as well last week as well. Uh, she, she says in verse 20, up at the top of the page, he's one of our kinsmen redeemers. So there are other potential redeemers. But interestingly, Naomi and Ruth are not sitting there with a kind of redeemer app on their phone, kind of just flicking through, looking for other potential redeemers, swiping along until they find one that they think might do the job. No. Naomi has decided that this one is the one for them. As far as she's concerned, it is all about Boaz. She is locked in to Boaz. He is the redeemer for them. And so she comes up with this cunning scheme this daring scheme. Verse 3, wash and perfume yourself, she says to Ruth, and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. So this scheme is daring in, in every sense, really. It's both risky and it's risque. Naomi is really encouraging Ruth to throw the dice here to see if she can get lucky with Boaz. Well, what do you do when you don't seem to have any luck? What do you do when God seems to be closing doors in your life? What do you do when it seems that you maybe have missed God's plan for you? Well, a lot of us would say, don't force it. Uh, Don't try to sort of open doors by yourself. Wait for God to open doors for you. And that's good in lots of ways because that shows that we believe that God is at work in the world and that we're wanting to live uh, a life that trusts him and follows his leading. But it can also lead to being quite passive, can't it? Because what do you do if the doors seem to start closing? Or what if God kind of opens two doors up at once? You know, you don't really know what to do with that. Uh, And so we can almost end up not doing anything because we're not sure what God is actually doing in the world. Well, Lovely, interestingly, takes a different approach. She, She sees this door open. When Ruth lands up in Boaz's field and they have this lovely conversation that we saw last week, she sees that as God opening a door before them. And now she is not gonna in any way, shape or form, allow that door to close. She is locked in to God's plan for them. She is going to make sure that it happens. Day after day, as the harvest kind of goes on, and Boaz just doesn't seem to be making any moves, she doesn't kind of get discouraged by that. She just becomes more determined to think of a way that she can make this happen, because she's convinced that God has led them to this. But now it's up for them to make sure that it happens. And Boaz really is obviously... for for Naomi and Ruth, the way that God is going to provide blessing. He's really the central figure in this book, isn't he? Everything kind of orbits around this great figure of Boaz. 
uh, this wealthy man, this upstanding man, uh, this generous man. God's plan for Naomi and Ruth is really a person. They are locked into Boaz. And as we read this as Christians, we, we know that the central figure in the story of the Bible and in the story of our world is Christ. That passage in Ephesians tells us that we find every spiritual blessing in Christ. He is the central figure of all of our stories. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 10 says this, God made known to us the mystery of his will to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. God's providence is at work in all sorts of ways, but it's all pointing the same direction. It's all saying that it's all going to come together under Christ. And so that is where our blessing is going to be found, in this figure of Christ, our Redeemer. He is the one for us. God's plan for us is focused on a person. And so um, it's like God has placed a wide open door in history. We can see this much clearer than Naomi and Ruth could about Boaz. As far as we're concerned, there is only one redeemer for us, and it's Christ. We need to be locked in, like Naomi and Ruth, to God's plan for us. It's easy to be deterred from that, isn't it? It's easy for bumps in the road, things in life, to to take our focus away from that central reality about our world, that all our blessings are ultimately going to be found in Christ. And so Naomi and Ruth, with their determination, with their grit, they remind us not to lose our focus on Christ, not to get distracted from him, not allow our focus to shift to other potential sources of redemption. Let's stay locked in on God's plan for us. And if we're going to do that, we must be prepared uh, to throw the dice, a little bit like Naomi and Ruth. And secondly, we must be prepared to stake everything on him, on Christ. So have a look at verse 5. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now, it's probably obvious, but it's worth underlining that Ruth is really flirting with disaster here. Why would a Moabite woman... uh, Sorry, why would a woman be around the threshing floor? Uh, The... What happened was the men would kind of come down to the threshing floor to protect the grain piles in case anyone wanted to steal it. And so they're away from their families and from their wives for for a night or two. And so what would a woman be doing creeping around the edges of the threshing floor? What good reason could she possibly have for coming down there at night? And particularly, why would a Moabite woman ever want to be seen around the threshing floor? Remember, Moabite women, they don't have a good reputation. Um, Not only have they had some bad history in Israel with leading people into sexual immorality and into idolatry, but even their very ancestry tells you that they're bad women because uh, they they all came about when Lot's daughter-in-law 
uh, went into her father, Lot, after he'd been drinking wine. And in the middle of the night, she lay down with him. And so as Ruth uh, steps out into the night, wearing her perfume, she's throwing her reputation to the winds. It's going to be very quick for people to, to say, oh, this Moabite woman, she's really showing her true colors now. This is not a good look for Ruth. She is staking everything, everything on Boaz. Everything on his response to her advances. And so verse 8, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. And he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. It's interesting how the language kind of zooms out here. It's not just Ruth and Boaz anymore. This is a man discovering a woman lying at his feet. And it's very clear that Ruth has got no intention of having an affair. Verse 9, Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Now this kind of corner of the garment stuff, it could seem a little bit kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And maybe there's a bit of that. You know, Ruth is there, very vulnerable. It's the middle of the night. It's a bit chilly. She's saying, would you not put your blanket around me, Boaz? But she's actually saying a bit more than that. Because to, to spread the corner of your garment over somebody uh, meant to, to marry them. And so Ruth is being really bold here. She's saying to Boaz, marry me. She's being very bold, but she's not inviting a kind of a one-night stand. She's inviting Boaz to marry her. And she's being um, very cunning, slightly flirty, but in a clever way as well, because she actually says, literally, spread your wing over me, because the corner of the garment and the wing is just the same word. Spread your wings over me. And she's actually referring back to, to a phrase Boaz used uh, last week. Just have a look across to uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Boaz says, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Ruth is saying to Boaz, won't you be the answer to your own prayer? I have come to take refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. And I believe that all that blessing is going to come through you. Spread the corner of your wing over me. For you are my kinsman, Redeemer. I'm all yours, Ruth says to Boaz in the middle of the night. Because I believe that the Lord is going to give me rest through you. And that is a good look for Ruth. Verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Now, I think it's quite easy, I certainly have made this mistake, uh, to read this as Boaz is sort of a little bit chuffed that Ruth has not kind of gone after a younger model. Uh, she's, instead of going after the younger men, she's gone after Boaz, who seems to be a bit older. But actually, what is impressing Boaz here, what he finds attractive about Ruth, is her character. Um, instead of going after younger men and getting married to them, 
she's actually gone for a redeemer. She's gone for Boaz because she wants Naomi to be provided for as well as for Ruth. And she wants even uh, Elimelech, his dead name, to be provided for. And so Boaz says that this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. She showed great kindness, great loyalty, great love to Naomi in coming back to Israel with her. And now she continues to show this great loyalty uh, when she uh, lies at the feet of this redeemer, Boaz. And she shows her grit and her determination, or we could say her strength of character. Literally, her, her noble character means her strong character. And interestingly, that's how Boaz is introduced in chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, he's a man of standing. He's a strong man. He's a noble man. And so there's this great fit between Boaz and Ruth. Although she's a Moabite and he's uh, from Israel, at the end of the day, they share this character. They, they share this strength. They share this strong hope in God and a willingness to follow through and put all their trust in him. So Boaz says, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. Well, Ruth has been up all night and she's got lucky. Well, probably better to say she's made her own luck. Or maybe better to say she has responded to God's providence, she's locked into God's plan and she has lived by faith, staking everything on this man Boaz, this redeemer. And I think that's an encouragement to us, isn't it? We can hear these words too. We can hear our redeemer say to us, I will do for you all that you ask. He says it a number of times to us in the Gospels. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Do it. We looked at that this summer. And the way to do it, the way to hear those words uh, said for us is to, is to imitate Ruth. It's very interesting. In last week's uh, story, Ruth was presented as working all the time, working in the fields. We're told explicitly she got no rest apart from one little section in the middle of the day. She's working, 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 and it comes to nothing. Boaz doesn't ever uh, make any advance towards her. But now... As Ruth tries to sort of take the initiative, she does it not by working, but by resting. She comes and lies down at the feet of Boaz. She comes and lies down at the feet of her redeemer as he lies asleep on the threshing floor. There's this intense atmosphere of calm and peace at the center of this very uh, fraught, very emotionally charged story. It ends with them lying down there, Boaz and Ruth at his feet, until morning, lying there in peace. This is what the narrow way that leads to life looks like. This is what living by faith looks like. It looks like giving up, working, 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 and coming to rest at the feet of our Redeemer. It looks like staking everything on him, being vulnerable before him, trusting that Yes, my life is in your hands. I'm going to lie at your feet and rest in you. And you know what? When we do that, that may end up with us looking pretty stupid. It may lead to us kind of having to throw our reputation to the winds, a bit like Ruth does. Uh, we may have find ourselves going to uh, different parts of the country 
uh, or buying different houses that look stupid to those around us. We may spend our time uh, at school by going to a Christian union group or something like that, and people think that's stupid. Um, we may spend our money in ways that people think is ridiculous. We may raise our kids in ways that people think is ridiculous. But we do it because we put all our trust in our Redeemer. Um, I'm going to share an embarrassing photo of myself now. Um, so on the, on the right there is, is me, obviously. And the rest of the, the group there, uh, the Christian Union uh, group in my college at university, the guys who are in my year, and this is taken in third year of my time at university. And um, sad to say, I'd avoided them for the first two years because I thought they were a bit geeky. And I thought I was quite cool. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, I hadn't realized that I wasn't. Um, uh, <laughs> um, but I wasn't willing to kind of throw my reputation uh, on the line to hang out with those guys. But by God's grace, by third year, I was actually willing uh, a bit reluctantly, I have to say, to stand in that photo and, and, and be taken with those guys. Um, it's not much. Many of you will have much bigger struggles, much bigger battles to fight, much bigger sort of grit and determination uh, to lay yourselves down at the feet of your Redeemer. But the Lord finds that incredibly attractive. He loves it when we, when we come and place our everything at his feet. Because that's a sign that his spirit is at work in us. That's a sign that we've come to love him. That's a sign that he is reshaping us into his likeness. All right, we'll take that down. I think we've seen enough of, <laughs> enough of that. And when we do that, finally, we can, we can trust our Redeemer with our future. Have a look at verse 16. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Now, this is a very strange question. It's actually literally the same question that Boaz asks Ruth in the middle of the night. Who are you? And, but Ruth, uh, Naomi is asking this in the kind of early dawn as Ruth is coming back to the house. And it seems like Naomi is very nervous. There's, there's this knock at the door and she's not sure who it's going to be or what to expect. Who are you? My daughter? Naomi is incredibly on edge, but Ruth comes inside and she shows this package of barley that Boaz has given her, and she gives this message, verse 17, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. So six in the Bible is, a, is an important number, because seven stands for rest and completeness and fulfillment and perfection. And so when Boaz gives six measures of barley, he's saying there's going to be a seventh. This six measures of barley comes with the promise of rest for Ruth and fulfillment for Naomi. And we'll find out how that fulfillment comes next week. But remember that she came back to, to Bethlehem from Moab empty. And now Boaz is saying, I'm going to make sure that you're filled. Uh, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And so uh, Naomi understands the message, and she says, verse 18, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Well, now it's no longer Ruth who's having to work. It's Boaz. There's no rest for Boaz now. He's going to have to go 
and redeem Ruth and Naomi. So this package of grain that Ruth uh, shows to Naomi, it comes from this enormous grain pile, okay? Boaz has been sleeping by this vast quantity of grain. And when he digs in his, his shovel and gives out these six measures of barley, I don't think the point here is so much that Boaz is generous. I think we saw that last week. I think the point now is that Boaz is both committed to Ruth and he is able, capable of carrying out what he does. He's this rich man who is committed to redeeming Ruth. Uh, so if you like, the six pe- the, these six measures of barley are kind of a deposit guaranteeing Ruth and Naomi's redemption. And Ephesians 1 tells us that we have a deposit too, guaranteeing our redemption. And that deposit is the Holy Spirit. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. As we see Boaz sticking his shovel into the massive pile and doling out these six measures of barley, I think we should see a little reminder to us of what we have in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit, God himself, living with us and in us. The one who was possessed by the Lord Jesus without measure, the one who has the fullness of the Spirit, has given us a share in the Holy Spirit, a kind of a first fruits of our redemption. Our Redeemer will redeem us. We can trust him with our future. If you have the Holy Spirit... If you love Christ, you have Christ. If you have Christ, you have God's blessing. And God has got a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan encourages us to place all our hopes in our Redeemer, through whom and with whom be praise and authority to the Father, with the Holy Spirit, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father God, we want to come and say thank you that the Lord Jesus, your very own Son, has come to redeem us. He's made himself one of our relatives, taking on our nature, in order that he might go and to the cross and to rise again and to pour out the Spirit that we might have life with you forever, that we might have fullness and rest, satisfaction, and eternal good hope. Father, thank you for this generous one, this rich one, this committed, faithful, and strong one, our Redeemer. Help us, Lord, to lock into him, to be ready to stake everything for him, and to trust him, that he holds our future and will not let us go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us pray. 
O God, our gracious and loving Father, as we come to you with our prayers of intercession, remind us that you are the one who is able to meet all our needs out of your great riches and glory. We come to pray for the Holiday Bible Club that begins tomorrow evening. Lord, we thank you for all who have volunteered to help, whether up front or behind the scenes. Assure them that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. And remind them, O God, that the one who was able to make this incredible world is able to help us to overcome all our problems and difficulties. Help us, O Lord, then, so that we might make it clear to the girls and boys that Jesus loves each of them, no matter who they are or where they come from or what problems they face at home or at school. And may they find love and joy and peace and life in him. We pray, too, for young people who have just received exam results or who may be receiving them this week. Remind them that you have a job for each of them to do and that you make no mistakes. Give them the grace to seek your help in finding the path that you want them to follow so that they might discover real meaning and purpose and hope and satisfaction in life. Lord, we thank you for the booklets that have been delivered throughout the district telling about the activities in our congregation. We pray that these booklets won't just be tossed aside, but that people will read them and be challenged to think again about their relationship to Christ and to his church. We pray that you would use these books to bring some people back to church. And when they come, Help us to be a warm and welcoming congregation, a place where people will not only hear about your love and grace, but will see it displayed in our lives. We pray for those who aren't able to join us for worship through sickness or age or weakness or other commitments. We thank you for the tape ministry. And pray that as people are able to join us in worship in their own homes, they may hear your voice speaking to them and experience the power of your Spirit in their lives as well. As we look out on our province, we see all the, once again, the evidences of, evidence of bitterness and division. Lord, we long that you would raise up leaders with vision and integrity who will help us to learn from the mistakes of the past and make this province a better place for those who are coming after us. We pray especially for the witness of the Christian churches in this situation. Give us a clearer understanding of your truth as we find it in your word. Enable us to be people who live out in our daily lives, live that out in our daily lives in a way that honors you and challenges those around us. As we listen to the news, 
We hear each day of floods and disasters, of monsoons and drought, of wars and deaths. Lord, we can't begin to appreciate what it must be like for those who are going through such tragedies. But we pray that you'd help us not to take our comfort and security for granted and make us less selfish and self-centered in the way we live our lives. We thank you for all who are giving sympathy and support to the people of Genoa as they try to come to terms with the disaster that has caused such havoc to their town. We pray that those who are suffering may not become pawns in a, public, a political wrangle over who's to blame. We pray too for the people of South India who've lost so much in the monsoons. We pray that the waters will soon subside and that those who have been cut off will receive the help they need. We thank you for those Christian organizations that are involved in bringing relief and practical help to many who have lost all their material possessions. We thank you for the peace treaty that has been signed in southern Sudan. And we pray that this time that peace may last. Help the leaders of the Presbyterian Church in that country as they work with others to bring hope and reconciliation to that land. We continue to pray for the people of Syria torn apart by civil war. As the situation seems to be coming to a head, we pray that the leaders on both sides might see the futility of bloodshed and make genuine efforts to bring peace to that divided country. We thank you, O God, that when life for Ruth and Naomi seemed tragic and bitter, you brought joy and deliverance and hope through Boaz, their kinsman redeemer. Help us to know that whatever our situation, our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, is ready and willing to give eternal life to all who put their trust in him. So give us the faith to look to him. Equip us, O Lord, with everything good, that we may do your will. And to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be the honor and praise and glory forever and ever. Amen.